Recording in progress. I like that. There it is. All right. We activated our Wonder Twin powers and we're recording. <laughs> That's great. Well, I'm glad we could make this happen. I know that things have been wild and crazy, and I think they probably will be for the foreseeable future. <laughs> the world is getting deeper and vaster and more beautifully complex every moment. And we have a lot to do with that. Absolutely, absolutely. So we talked, what, three weeks ago or a month ago, something like second. that? The 2nd of October is exactly 25 days ago. My brain can do math. Wow, that's That's not good. the case before. I could not do math like that before. I've been practicing. <laughs> that's 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 really interesting yeah you you've shared some of your 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 neurological journey with me you know the whole neural pathway thing and neuroplasticity that that just doesn't go away it gets even more important as you get older to really push yourself into different territory different ways of thinking, different activities, hobbies, projects. It's very helpful to uh, to really keep the the um, the neurology very malleable as you as you age. Languaging is so important to me in that respect um, because b before a lot of um, intensive events happened in my life, I knew that, um, languages like like I I have studied French and I've studied Welsh and and I've studied other languages. I knew that that was a big leverage point for neuroplasticity, but I did not really understand earlier in my life how much more there is to language and languaging, not just you know this particular language that is not English and this other particular language that is not English that I grew up with. Um, but the way we speak, the, the the meanings we ascribe to words as we speak, um, there's so much there, and we never really know what one another is saying unless we check our languaging. So that that's been a, a dense, rich source of nutrients for me. Yeah, and even when we check our languaging, we can only go with a degree of faith that we're communicating. You know, and that gets weirder and weirder across distance and across time. There's a wonderful Russian philosopher named Mikhail Bakhtin who developed something called the uh, theory of the dialogic imagination. I and haven't it, heard of this. I'd love to know more about that. Yeah, I used to write about this guy in when I was in graduate school, and I was really fascinated by his work. In fact, I, I mentioned him. I think in one of my recent books somewhere, I, I, he's, he at least gets a passing reference or in a video or something that I made. But the, the gist is that we are imagining the world together through language, essentially. And, and when we speak, we are basically in dialogue in creating the moment of the enunciation, enunciation together. <laughs> The enunciation and the uh, reception of the enunciation, and this can happen also with, with with somebody who's long gone, like a writer that you're reading who passed, you know, two centuries ago or you know uh, even longer. 
of course, you're actually creating a world between the two of you in that connection of language. So the nexus of language is all important in his theory for how the world comes into being. And it's very similar even to some of my theories having to do with regenetics and how the world was spoken into being and how we can use language to rewrite ourselves and our experience of the world but at, at an energetic level, not just at a conceptual level. One of the things that was really powerful for me before I knew some more about your regenetics um, resourcing, um, uh, I wonder if I can describe this. I've got to just I've got to describe it from the point of view of me with much more severe neurological damage. So when I go into those neural structures and try to verbalize from them, it's very different trying to verbalize things from those places. Um, but one of the things for me that, that I enthusiastically shared with others um, near that beginning of, of, of recognizing that you were doing something called regenetics and there was something very interesting and activating about it and I was feeling drawn to it and I wanted to understand like, what is this exactly? Um, the sense of singing together, the sense of making meaningful sounds together, connected to imagery that, that is our intentionality together. So, so I talk about collaborative fluency a lot and um, you know how, how we, we hold uh, an intention of how we're moving forward with one another, not only by ourselves, but, but building um, organic living structures of 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 different living beings contributing to outcomes that that are not accomplished in any way otherwise. And um, one of the things that was coming to me a lot that I was just searching and searching for a way to verbalize, searching and searching for a way to talk to more people about um, learning learning about the potentiation process that you facilitate and that you teach. Um, in envisioning with my body in the body of the network, there being locations where this is going on and people simply learn it as part of their as part of their lives, um, and then sing together in these ways that is so healing to our bodies and and creates the physical reality of our bodies in these meaningful ways. And and part of that is also that it's not just about specific words. It's about syllabic structures. It's about it's about noise. It's about it's about the sounds that are made not just by what we think of a lot of the time as human languaging, but um, I don't I don't really know what words to use about it. Like the the syllables that you teach for for regenetics um, is part of that. But then another thing that I think of is you you had a um, you had a podcast where, and I can't remember their names, but you shared what you said was, I think you were talking with Lee and you shared um, this music that was your, it was like one of your favorite albums of all time. And um, it was um, it was two, two dudes in South America with a whole bunch of tracks with really great guitar music. And you might know what I'm talking about, or, or there might be other things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. they, um, they, they, uh, they're part of the music was making joyful noises that weren't necessarily words. 
And that's where all of that connects for me. It's it's what has connected when I have when I've read parts of Callie the Destroyer too, about the nonverbal parts of making sacred sounds that heal the body. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, that the you're talking about a um a an impromptu album that came together years and years ago between Gilberto Gil and Georgie Benjol, uh, two, two Brazilian artists, and they got together and played off of each other in this almost symbiotic fashion one night when they probably had had too many drinks or just maybe just, just the right number of drinks. And they did an album that's considered to be one of the classics of all of Brazilian popular music. And really, it's one of the best uh, improv albums that, that's ever been made, in my opinion. So, And they were just riffing and going off and making sounds that came to them and they were going back and forth so yeah I, li I like to talk about that album sometimes and there are some similar albums there's also this notion that you get um from the work of ken carey you know the author ken carey he wrote the uh the starseed um the starseed books I, it sounds familiar to me but i don't remember very much so this is a passage from starseed the third millennium that's totally relevant to where you were just going with your idea about sounds and songs and singing together. He writes that when you love fully without reservation, you feel, sense, and move within love's rhythmic current. The definition songs that pulse through your soul are free to call out the excellence of your surroundings. As you allow love to flow out from within you, you will remember things you had forgotten about these physical realms. You will remember that everything has a soul song that is at once its definition and its expression. You will recognize all that lives in this blessed biosphere as objectifications of your own melodies. And consciously then you will sing the songs of distinction, the songs that call forth all that appears in this planetary environment. A sculptor can always use hammer and chisel, but if she can sing the right songs, the songs that speak the true names, the songs that go to the very heart of the matter with which she works. She can inspire that matter to participate intelligently in its own development and recreation. And eventually he says, when you perceive conceptions of yet unmanifest physical possibilities, you will be able to guide the molecular flow of appropriate substance into those designs. Awakened, you know your human circuitry for what it is, a system of empathy, representation and creation designed to regulate and evoke biology that is very groovy wow um so in regenetics eventually when we got to the point where we were doing some supplementary activations we in honor of this this work we called them songs of distinction i i i'm i'm remembering fleeting references from from your work and I think I remember coming across Ken Carey's name in your work too I need to get more familiar with those writings that sounds really wonderful well it's so keyed into um a lot of the things we've been talking about in our conversations this idea that you know we are actually creating the world with which we are interacting that we're calling forth something from inside ourselves. I think we do this unconsciously as well. 
um, you know, he's talking about the conscious way of doing this, really. But I think it's sort of a default ability that we have that just it's the way the world gets constructed and we can do it unconsciously and that has consequences or we can learn to be more conscious about it and that also has consequences well if we do it unconsciously we we are we are i mean at least in this day and age we are often allowing it to be harnessed and used without our awareness um when we talked about the world cult and you um, the last time that we chatted, um, I think I said I was on chapter four. I wasn't on chapter four. I was on chapter six, <laughs> but okay. I finished it. I finished it now. Um, and there, there are chapters in there where you talk about, and I think you mentioned this last time too, where, um, there are influences in the world that, that can make terrible things come about by harnessing our powers of world creation um, with or without our knowledge, and we may think that we're doing something really great, but if we're not fully aware of what we're interacting with and, and how we use our powers intentionally, um, that can go really bad places. Absolutely. Absolutely. I did a meme recently and it was stop, stop. Um, what was the meme? Let me, let me pull up the exact text because it was exactly on this subject. Um, just bear with me for just half a second oh yeah the doomsday meme it's um stop helping doomsday cults bring about doomsday using your energy <laughs> and many people don't even know how to like that's not even a concept they've ever encountered so sometimes it takes a, a long process to understand how that could even be occurring um, yeah, once you realize it, like the power that you have in the world to take responsibility for the power you have in the world. When when I was looking at some notes before we came to chat here, and um, a big part of what has been moving to me about the world cult and you is about how you bring the focus to building one's personal energy. Um, I think you said you said supercharging one's personal power, I think. Um, and you, you have a lot of reference points. You have a lot of recommendations in terms of how someone can do that. And if somebody's never encountered that before for taking responsibility for themselves, for their own um, functions, for their own influence on the world through the, the it's a it's a it's a form of dominant behavior that can be totally unconscious the way we participate in the world and everything that you suggested there to my memory is really powerful in terms of taking responsibility for that and 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 taking a sovereign approach to showing up with one's full self so that one doesn't let pieces of oneself be repurposed for other things. I think about um, there, there's software that you could put on computers that that um, academic organizations would use your computer's functions to run something, 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 and we don't really know what they were doing, but but um, that used to be a thing when I was a kid, like, oh, it will, you can use your computer's computing power for this thing that you don't totally understand. It's like that. It's like, do we want our pieces repurposed by others in ways we don't understand? Or do we want to understand how our own sacred bodies work? Right, right. Wow, there's a lot in what you just said. I was thinking about tying 
tying in the this text, the world called in you, to the language piece also going back to this idea that I don't think there was language to talk about a lot of these things. I had to kind of create some of this language. I borrowed here and there, of course, but I ended up creating language. I, you're not the only person who's, who's come forward and said that this book is like creating the discussion you know, by giving the language, you said something along those lines. And the other people have said that, you know, I'm finally able to think and talk about this. And before I kind of was aware of some of these dynamics, but it was almost nebulous, like until it was given language, it didn't exist. And this is back to Ken Carey. This is back to Mikhail Bakhtin and the idea that we are languaging the world into existence. And so, so I, if I've done nothing nothing else but give people language to talk about these ideas even if they disagree with mine then i think i've done a service i agree um hugely hugely i agree um so so in the intuitive network we started out so severely disabled we could not even reach and talk to one another and we didn't understand that that could be possible but all of the people who were who were past that particular threshold of severe disablement, we were being prevented from talking to one another. So we had to build intuitive infrastructure to, to, to facilitate us being in contact with one another. And we started recognizing we have to invent languages for all this stuff. No one is talking about any of this stuff. But one of the big problems is even in that context, as amazing as that progress is, we have to be able to find more others willing to do the best they can to invent a language that actually addresses those intersections or at least starts to address those intersections. And people aren't doing that most places. And the places that people think that they're doing it, like, like media platforms that are maybe talking about sex trafficking or maybe talking about intersectional violence, Generally, they're monetizing the conversation a lot more than they're than they're having a collaborative dialogue. And you are encouraging a tremendous amount of dialogue around the the writing that you're doing. And so, like me encountering your work and and as we've been able to discuss it in groups, we have to have another uh, relational counterpoint where where yours is a bit different from ours but ours is still evolving and yours is still evolving and oh we learn things when we connect that and then more others can come into the conversation and they have a different set of touch points that come into relationship with all of this and then new languages emerge that's what we need for relational neurological repair that's amazing mm. magic yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. As you're as you were talking, I was thinking about how that works, like we could give it some scientific uh, explanations. But in one very key way, I think it the the neurological repair via language installations, you know, if you want to put it that way, is it allows people to feel that community that they've been missing and craving in a way that is potentially non cultish where they're simply communicating clearly with one another. Now, of course, that could be co-opted for cult situations uh, naturally, 
but at least it gives you the option to have relatively clear communication with people and you can decide if you want to get into a, a cultish energy exchange with with uh, that situation and to 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 make that discernment you really have to be putting a lot of energy and intention into the powers of your own self so that you know yourself well and you know what you want and who you are in the world and that gives you the basis for interacting with others um, and be able to make discernments about whether something or someone is is seeking to take advantage of you otherwise you can't really tell and that's why most communities out there don't actually support the individual developing their own powers of discernment their own powerful functions mostly the community will, will the communities that we've encountered mostly they will support it up to a point but they will require certain kinds of conformance in order to continue supporting people in that way. And it creates this, um, this veil and the most severely affected people, the people who cannot conform to those requirements are hidden from the rest of the community. So the rest of the community can feel very successful about what it's doing, but what we've gone around doing, what I've gone around doing for a lot of years is catching the people who are squeezed out of communities or fall out of communities because they can be preyed upon without anybody noticing because they're invisible, because nobody knows how to speak their language. And in the intuitive network, like one of the reasons I love that list at the end of the world cult and you is it's a really nice, simple, direct, um, it's sort of, it's got simple touch points, but each of them is deepened. So you like, you explain a lot about each of those points. Um, these are things that we have learned, wow, the hard way, um, a lot of them, that we have to make sure that individuals are supported and flourishing in, or else individuals don't even learn how to be individuals, and they will just be co-opted by whatever community or whatever trafficking operative happens to be pleasant and nice to them at the time. Mm, that's a really good point. Yeah, I'm sure you've seen that firsthand a lot. Mm. Yeah, the the idea of becoming an individual or or individuating is is a complex one. And as I've as I've gone down this shamanic path and this this path of of writing books about some of these ideas, I really believe that most of what we're given by the by the psychological understanding of that is useless. It's completely useless. There might be some frameworks in it, but it doesn't really give you any way of achieving it because it doesn't address the idea that what keeps you from being an individual is that your power is being drained. And your power is your consciousness and your ability to be sovereign. So unless you can restore your power your consciousness, your mojo, your kundalini, your chi, your prana, your orgone, whatever you want to call it, you can't really individuate. Yeah, and it seems like most of the sources out there that talk about individuation, it, they're, they're talking about how to be a, a controllable individual. They're not talking about how to be a sovereign individual. Oh, that's a really good point. Yeah, that too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, so 
so you get these frameworks that are not really actionable in any pragmatic way. And you get a kind of definition that is somewhat skewed of what it means to be an individual. It's basically an individual within society as opposed to just being an individual. You know, so there's this whole acculturation, acculturation going on all the time to make people behave within acceptable norms. And I'm not saying that we should all go out there and become, you know, savages and and murderers and i don't know whatever you want to you know whatever you cannibals i don't know i'm not saying that really i'm simply saying that um the our ability to express ourselves is very corralled even in this society you, you know it looks as if oh you could be an artist or a singer or whatever and you could do almost anything these days but that's not really true start talking about some of the things that happen between 2020 and 2022 and see how far that gets you on social media so we are definitely being censored and corralled so there's no real push towards being individuals there's essentially a a push towards being a slightly more cre seemingly creative automaton. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, I'm going to attempt to verbalize something. Let's see how it goes. Um, I love I love that we're talking about verbal and relational. We're, we're, we're talking a lot more these days about how every form of trauma, because trauma is physical damage to the language parts of the brain and the relational parts of the brain. Anybody who's experienced trauma needs verbal and relational neurological repair, whether it's very, very mild need for it or a very, very extreme need for it. So I, I love, I love, I love these conversations. Can I ask you a question or, or ask for your, your I'll, input? I'll, I'll come back. I'll come back to what I was thinking. Go ahead and ask me right now. That's fine. directly to what you're thinking. So when you say physical trauma, that can also be induced emotionally, right? But that oh, it yes. causes physical damage. That's yes. what people don't understand. They're like, oh, it was just an emotional thing. But but that's not really how the body receives an emotional insult. There isn't a just an emotional thing. There you go. That's what I wanted to make sure. People <laughs> there's a there's a brocade. There's a there's a weaving. There's a pat. There's a set of patterns of the physical neural structures and they can be wiped out like a like a like a forest fire burns through the forest and all you're left with is the roots under the soil if you're lucky enough to have the roots under the soil um mm. and we have to grow those neural structures back and man it's hard if you're cut off from resources cut off from relationships if nobody understands your language um it, yes. it's real wild um, so yeah, did you have more that you wanted to say no, about that? Was the only that... thing I wanted to be sure that people listening got that it wasn't just that trauma wasn't just a physical thing that that tr this physical damage that is associated with trauma can be induced non physically. People on this planet, living beings on this planet, are experiencing trauma. And, and that's the somebody... part of the cult. That's part of the whole cult apparatus that is inducing trauma as a way of downgrading people's ability to think and process and understand what's happening to them. And saying, but that's not really trauma you're experiencing. You're just too sensitive. You're taking it too hard. You haven't done enough of your own self work. You're not really being harmed is a thing. 
that that certain institutions like to say because then they can normalize levels of trauma that decrease neurological function that decrease cognitive clarity decrease the ability to make good decisions for oneself for one's family because the more that trauma is normalized the harder it is for you to tell what's going on and what you should do about it yes yes Ooh. Um, so what I was going to say before is um, the so talking about individuation, talking about individuals um, and controllable individuals, like the conversation that we're having, a lot of the things that you said a, a minute or two ago, um, we're talking about uh, the, the landscape being one where um, controllable individuals are prioritized. And part of what that means is that they are individuals who are responsive to conflict seeding from the standpoint of those who are seeding conflict. So if you can be brought into conflict with others by a, by a hidden influence, then you are a desirable member of society because they can steer you how they want to steer you. They, they can make great economic flows for themselves by steering people this way or steering people that way. Um, and the reason that it's so important for me to mention this is because there's also a lot in your book about um, where perhaps conflict is unnecessary, where maybe maybe we don't need to be in conflict about having very different experiences. like why why would why would we need to fight about it if we're actually, amazing multidimensional beings having amazing multidimensional experiences that one another cannot even necessarily fathom or or ever prove uh, that is that is an incredibly important point that's the that is a a, a massive thread in in my book uh, and my subsequent work that I've been doing um, as well, this idea that since we're having you know, radically different experiences of reality, the idea of right and wrong and truth and good and evil, all, the, all of these related concepts have to be shelved in, in favor of a, a very plastic, elastic, malleable way of understanding each other uh, to allow for people in a dialogic environment to be having different imagined experiences of reality 